Anyone have message fatigue yet? Uh, after Max and me, I, you know, I guess I hope you're hanging in there because certainly Max has an incredible amount of content and then workshops today. And, um, you know, it is easy to get just, <laughs> I see a gallon there, uh, get, get fatigued and then the altitude and I feel it and you feel it. So hopefully tonight will be, um, well, I would say refreshing, but it, um, I hope it'll be really meaningful to you. You may not have ever really heard a message quite like this before. Uh, I said this uh, morning that uh, it, in a, the, the bottom line on this message ultimately is really spiritual power that, will, that will, uh, God will draw on as this uh, message becomes a part of your life. And uh, we're going to be talking about brokenness and humility tonight. Um, you know, the, the kind of the standard way uh, we see people of pride are people that are arrogant and my way or the highway. And so uh, that's how we normally see people of pride. Um, but I want to kind of draw this concept of pride out to include any time we are on the throne of self in our life and God is not, that is prideful. If I'm choosing my way, be it ever so the appearance of humility in the world, that, that's not the issue here. If I'm choosing my protection, my style, my agenda over letting God reign, then that's prideful. And so, you know, just in starting out, I'm, I'm making that kind of comment on pride. Uh, let me set up this, some things with a story about King David. Um, one of the, probably the low point in his life was when he had that affair with Bathsheba. Uh, his army was off fighting. He was at home enjoying the, the, uh, the good life of a king. He saw Bathsheba invited her over, they had relations, she got pregnant. Her husband, Uriah, was out doing the king's dirty business, fighting, and the king's enemies. And David, uh, as is often the case with us, if we hide a sin, there's a snowballing effect. And this is a great example of, if we keep sin hidden, the chances are incredibly high there's going to be a snowballing effect on it. It's a, it's a big warning to us, actually. And so David uh, says, you know, I think I can work this out. So he has Uriah come back from the battle, uh, says, well, go have, you know, go spend time with your wife, be intimate with her. You deserved it. Uriah basically says, how can I leave my friends that are 
dying on the battlefield and have relations with my wife? How, how could I do that? You know, thanks for the offer, but it's not going to happen. You know, he got drunk, tried to get him drunk. But Uriah was so loyal to the mission, so loyal to his friends that was, were dying and on the battlefield that, that he couldn't do it. So David's next plan was, I got to eliminate Uriah. So he told Uriah's commander, get him, push him up to the front of the battlefield, and that'll be the end of it. And sure enough, he was killed in the front line of battle. Well, then David was free to invite Bathsheba into his castle, marry her, and the child was born. Well, uh, the prophet uh, Nathan knew of this. Obviously, Nathan was in touch with God. And so he comes to David and tells him a story and, and basically sets David up uh, wonderfully and with his story. And David says, how can this be? How could this person act that way? He deserves death. And Nathan said, you're, you're the one. And then David was confronted with his sin. And so these verses I'm going to share that will be on the screen are from Psalm 51. This is the results of Nathan uh, challenging David. And, and I want to suggest to you this in the, in, in the weeks before was, was David's low point. This could be his high point. And, you know, he conquered kingdoms. He got uh, the start of the temple. His son Solomon finished it. He did a lot of incredible things. He wrote Psalms, most of it. But this could possibly be his highest point. Maybe. I don't know. Let's look at these verses together, starting in Psalms 51. I don't do the whole psalm here. I've, got, I've, I've left out a few, so it won't be quite, <coughs> quite so lengthy for us. Be, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. That's a great thought David had, by the way. Integrity in his inner life. And you teach me wisdom deep within. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And then uh, the next two verses, uh, verses 16 and 17, are, uh, are basically what we're building our, our thoughts around tonight. You do not want to sa a sacrifice, or I would give it. And you are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and a humble heart. And so this is where David landed after 
his sin with Bathsheba, his setting Uriah up to be murdered, his leaving God out of it. This is where David landed. A broken, God, you will not despise a broken in a humble heart. Now, I have a question for you. Not only to you personally, but in a sense, your whole group. Question is this. Is there a culture of brokenness, humility, and repentance in your life, in your small group, and in your campus group? So let's say I came and walked around with you for a couple weeks and attended some of your small groups and met one-on-one -on -one with you and we had coffee together and we worked out together. Would I sense, or would anyone sense, a, a culture of brokenness and humility and repentance? Because from my vantage point of being to campuses and talking here and there in my own campus as well, which I recognized it quite clearly, actually. There is not this culture. And, uh, you know, I'm suggesting to you tonight that this very what could be, should be the most important cultural component of, of your life, your personal life and your ministry. And yet I think in a lot of ways, this is what the devil fights the most. And uh, he absolutely hates a broken, humble, repentant heart because the power of God is released through it. Um, there's a verse in James 4 that says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do you see the cause effect here, by the way? This is about as clear a passage in the Bible on cause and effect. And if you're wondering where it is, here it is. And, um, and then James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is where the power of God is released to the, the grace of God pouring in, into your life. So when we're trying to make our life work without God, that can very well be pride. Um, just because you're quiet and shy, it doesn't mean you're not prideful. Most people get pegged by prideful as they're kind of arrogant. They want their own way. Uh, they have a crusty personality. Oh, this person is filled with pride. Well, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But a person that's a, a quiet disposition can just as easily have pride in their life. Um, here's a comment. Any strategy we have to try to make our life work without God is pride. Any strategy that we try to make our life work without God is pride. And so that's why I think Psalms 139 is so critical to our lives. 
And it says, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Now, how well do you um, allow God to search your heart? Um, is, that, is that a normal part of your conversation with God? Um, it should be. And it should be so normal to your Christian experience that you allow God entry to your heart to search your heart. That should be as normal as coming, going to church on Sunday or going to your campus meeting. God, search my, my heart. And yet I think the devil fights that as much as about anything. Isaiah 60, 19 says, The sun will no longer be your light by day, and the brightness of the moon will not shine for you, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your splendor. So it's not the things that prop us up, and in this case, the sun and the moon, but it could be all your props in life, your, your wisdom, your friends, your campus group, your parents, your money, and all these things. And, and God's words say, the Lord will be your everlasting light. But, but to allow that to happen requires a letting go of our own life. I was, uh, I'm going to have to stand up. The sitting in a seat is bothering me. I'll just get this that if that's okay, Mr. Mr. Microphone guy up there. <laughs> uh, um, I was in two week, two weeks ago. I was in Pittsburgh, Kansas, speaking to their campus group, and they wanted me to. Uh, they had watched the insanity of God the week before, and they wanted me to come in and kind of debrief it with a message on uh, giving your all to Christ. So. I put my thoughts together on, you know, to live is to die, and to die is to live, and, and all that. So they were having some worship songs before that, like we were doing tonight. So I was sitting, I was sitting in the back, actually I was standing in the back, reflecting over those songs that were being sang. And um, I realized something about that evening. After I was going to speak to those students, I was going to get in my car and drive about 50 miles up the road to get up closer to home and stay at a hotel in, in Scott City, Kansas. And I, I was just ready. I needed to get back and I wanted to get an early start in the morning. But I knew that that hotel would have um, movie channels on it. And I knew I was really tired. Sandy had been sick, and I'd been doing traveling and, and, and preparing messages, and I was really tired. And I knew I was vulnerable to watching some movies that I shouldn't be watching. So as I was singing along, listening to these songs, God spoke to me and said, well, you need to confess to this group and ask that they pray for you tonight that you will not watch television. And I, you know, I'm 70 years old, you know, and, and I'm 
to, to, to ask 19-year-old and 20-year-old people to pray for me that I wouldn't watch sleazy television. I mean, so I, as I sang these songs, and this is really the power of worship music, by the way, if you're listening to these beautiful songs. And, and that's how God spoke to me. And so I get up there, and I have, man, I have my gun loaded for uh, everything for the cause of Christ. But I say, uh, you know, I, I really need your prayer tonight because I'm going to be driving back to this city. And I want to be pure in my heart and my eyes. And, and I've just wondered if, you know, after the meeting you would pray that I would not watch television. I had actually, I have the biography of Martin Luther I'm reading. And that's far better for me than watching HBO at 10.30 at night. And uh, so, you know, it was hard for me to do that, but it was so freeing. And, uh, you know, these students were looking at me, uh, what's this guy going to say next, you know? But, um, you know, I think it, it blessed them as well. Um, several years ago, um, I had the privilege of leading a group to China and back then we had our orientation in Norman, Oklahoma at their retreat center. Um, one of our gals had been to um, uh, uh, Uzbekistan the, the summer before and with a campus group. And so she got up and, and she was asked to give her testimony of that summer. They had seen God work through their lives. And so Carol shared uh, her story. And so at the, at the end of the meeting, uh, this girl on our team raised her hand and said, could I come up and share something? So the person leading the meeting said, yeah. So she walks up, her name's Jennifer. And she gets the microphone and she said, uh, when Carol was speaking, I was so jealous of her that she had the opportunity to speak and I didn't. And that she had some wonderful things to say about what God did and I didn't. And I'm so sorry. And Carol, I wonder if you would forgive me and and that each one here would forgive me because I've detracted for what God is wanting to do. And so that was what she said. So the meeting ended and after lunch we had our, our team time and we had about an hour and a half. So me and nine of their students, Robbie Nutter was a part of that group. Some of you know him, Brian Sturm. And... Uh, so we, we talked about Carol and what Jennifer said. And so we felt we need to get on our knees and pray. And so for the next 45 minutes, the 10 of us were in a circle confessing our envy and, and competitive spirit and jealousy of each other in asking God to purify our hearts and give us a, 
a summer where we really are there to serve God and each other rather than be jealous. And, you know, I think that was a key moment. If there was any key moment of the summer, that was it. Our team went out and we went to this campus that had never, had had no believers, had never had a, a, a Christian group come to it. It was without God. And we saw God do an incredible work there. A number of kids became believers and we ended up sending groups back there for many, many years and became a real sending part, this, this city uh, around China. And I think it began with that confession, Jennifer's confession to Carol and to the rest of us and then our prayer. The power, the power of having a humble heart. Um, One other story here. In 1995, uh, Neil may remember this, there was some campus, whatever, for use of a better word, awakenings, and uh, it began, it actually began in a church in Texas and spread up to Wheaton and Gordon Cromwell and uh, Trinity and a bunch of, of schools, graduate schools. And, uh, these were Christian schools where they had chapel services and, and students uh, would confess their needs, their sins to each other. And in, in Wheaton, I have a friend there who is one of our alums who now teaches at Southern Seminary, was a professor and say this was the real thing. And it went on for a week. And these students, they would come and bring their pornography and put it in a trash can and um, there was just a lot going on there. So at the end of um, the spring term, so I knew about this and so we were having a planning time in late April, about 30 of our students and we were debriefing the year and what went well, what didn't. What do we need to change for next year? Y'all have been, you know, you know how we do that. And so at the end of it, I thought, well, I think I'm going to mention this. I, it wasn't like I had this great feeling. I just thought, I'm going to share this with our group. So I told them about what had happened at Wheaton. And I said, you know, it could be that someone here may feel that they need to confess something to our group, and I'm going to give you a chance to do that. And so I sat down, and, you know, I was going to give this about 30 seconds, and then I was ready to go home. And so I was just leaning to get up, and, and, a, and a young woman stands up, and she says, well, I have something to say to the group. And she said, uh, I've been living a lie in front of you. And she was one of our top three or four leaders. I mean, if you, if you said, who's the top five at K-State, she would make anyone's list. She was a great small group leader, a great one-on-one -on -one person. And she said, I've been sleeping with my boyfriend, and you don't know it. And I've been living this lie in front of you. And I'm so sorry. And I wondered if you would forgive me. 
and I've already asked God to forgive me. And so, I mean, so 30 students, including me, are sitting there stunned. And so a couple of girls got up, and then three or four, probably half a dozen, got up and gathered around her and prayed for her. And it was, so four hours later, we conclude this meeting. And guys would get up and confess hatred and jealousy. Occasionally, someone would get up and say, uh, I've been abused physically and I don't know what to do. And uh, one of our young women did that. And it was, it was so uh, humbling and broken to hear these young people share because I'd never been around Christian leaders that had ever done that. I have a master's degree in seminary. I've never heard a seminary professor. I've heard one pastor one time say he was sorry for not supporting a student going out in missions. The guy was like in another church, and which was really powerful to me. But, and I've never heard a teacher. I've never heard a coach. And in fact, my dear sweet parents, I've never heard them humble themselves and say, I'm so sorry how I treated you. And they occasionally had arguments like all parents do. And so, you know, this was an incredibly powerful time. And I think to a large degree, our, our ministry really turned around the next year. And we'd been a, a real flat line in a lot of ways. And it came through a humble broken heart before God and before each other. There, uh, that's all there is to it. There's really not a whole lot more I can add to it. James 5, verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I think most everyone wants healing. You know, do you want healing from this? Do you want healing from that? Oh, yes. But there's a cause and effect here that is incredibly clear in Scripture. There's no way to, like, misinterpret this. <laughs> it's so clear. Um, does, do we only need to go to God for forgiveness? Sure. You know, in a sense, we do. But, but God has so wired us in a community that he calls us at times to confess our need and our sin to our brothers and sisters. And um, while it's incredibly simple, it could be the hardest thing we're ever called to do in life. I've had to go into Iran on a rescue mission to try to pull out a gal who had fallen in love with a, a Muslim guy. I've been to Afghanistan. I mean, I was in Vietnam in a shooting war. I would say this idea trumps everything else by far to the most difficult things 
I've ever had to do. By far, I'd rather go to Kabul, Afghanistan any day than ask your forgiveness. And that's how the devil fights it so much because the power of God is released. The healing grace of God is released. Uh, a humble person really sees their own needs more than the failures of others. Um, a humble person would look at God's standard rather than comparing themselves with another person. A humble person is free to share their need where a prideful person doesn't. We have a student in our ministry. She's in a sorority. And she's, she's like an, an average person. And one day she felt led to stand up in front of her sorority and share how she had been abused, sexually abused growing up. And she invited her sorority sisters to do the same. And God did a great work in that sorority. And now this gal, her name Stacy, goes all over the country. She got back from Michigan. And she goes into, into groups of women. And it's called Stand Up for Your Sisters. And she'll have pass out cards. And each one will share if they've ever been sexually abused. And then, and then she, she gathers them and then she passes them out randomly. And then she'll ask those that have a card that someone said they had been abused to stand up. And so these, these women that have these cards that someone who's been abused will stand up. And so for the first time in these women's lives, someone stood up for them, for their being abused. And... This is like a, you know, a random thing. They don't even know the names of these gals. They're, they're not, their names are on it. But it opens the door for the, for the power of God to be released. And she's seen, uh, I mean, you cannot imagine what she's seen, the work of God around the country. And just a simple little deal of standing up. Uh, John 12, 24 says, Truly, truly, Jesus is speaking, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Again, you see the cause effect here. If it dies. And in a sense, when we humble ourselves... We die to ourself as much as any other way I know of to die to self. I was in a, I led a, a Saturday morning Bible study years ago when I was in seminary and to be with students, I had to be with them on Saturday and we had a 7.30 pancake breakfast at our church and I slept in. I'd been so tired. I'd been up late Friday doing papers and 
So I come staggering in about 8.15, and everyone laughs, and, you know, and Bob finally answered the bell, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so, but I felt, you know, I really wronged these students. I, by, they were all here at 7.30. And so I felt God leading me to say, you know, uh, I'm so sorry I was late and it was not honoring to you and I wondered if you would forgive me. There was about 20 students there and they said, yeah. So like 15 years later, this student comes up to me and says, uh, a former student said, I was involved in Christian Challenge for four years and I heard all these great, great speakers and retreats and, and Bible studies. And, but when you did that, that was the high point of my experience in college with Christian Challenge and what God did in my life. Do you see the power? You know, it's almost like I need to think up bad things I've done because of how the power of God is released. Uh, there's a, a thought I want to uh, give you. Almost without exception, the greatest victories over sin come when we are willing to confess our sins before others and humbly receive their prayers. Almost without exception. And I, this was not my quote, but I would, after 50 years, I would say that is very, very true. I can. Is it on a slide? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, this may be new territory for you. Um, again, it depends on the culture of your life and your, and your group. But, uh, you know, I want to really invite you to consider this, um, the humbling of yourself. And it could be that you've been deeply wounded and we're, you know, I'm not suggesting that that's to, to minimize your wounds. But in your coping with that, you've chosen to try to make your life work on your terms to hide that wound. I know a gal who was sexually abused and she totally shut down emotionally. She said, I'm not going there again. And she shut, shut down emotionally. And she realized that that was sin. That was building her life around herself. Now, it's not minimizing her woundedness and the wretchedness of the deed done against her. But she realized that she needed to repent of herself choosing to make her life work her way. Uh, a prideful spirit will really cause us to be stuck spiritually about as, as much as anything, frankly. So that's really my offering to you tonight. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about this in the afternoon. And, and if you know me, I am... I'm about the farthest one out on the end of the spectrum on 
trying to manipulate a situation. I, I abhor that. But, you know, I wonder tonight, just in a moment, it could be that as I've shared and as God has shared that you may feel God would lead you to confess something to this group. And uh, I think I know the leaders and, and, and the group enough to know it would be held in confidence. And, but it could be that this would be a part of what God leads you to do. And if not, it could be later getting a friend or your small group. But I, I'm just going to take a moment and if you would like to share something, we can turn off this tape now, if that's okay. And uh, 